0: Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name's Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service reviews and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God God bless. Today's topic is Before You Say I Do. Before you say I do. With that kind of a title, you can tell that it's really targeting those who are single, but I will try to make sure that I say at least uh, something for everyone. So be looking for that for you. Be looking for how this is is hitting you right where you live uh, so that you can stay in tune. Now, I have had the unique opportunity of uh, doing weddings for people and even a more unique opportunity to do uh, weddings for my own children. So um, I want to share with you something that was quite fun when uh, I was preparing to do the wedding for my daughter. Uh, as usual, I was kind of giving the couples that I work with a uh, a list of possible vows or vows to work off of if you're going to write your own vows. And my daughter, who uh, loves to write, had some fun with that one and shared some of those at around the dinner table. We laughed so hard that I asked her for permission to share them at her wedding before we actually went into the real vows. And so here's a couple of vows that she wrote in spoof that I did read at her wedding. So some of you were there, and you'll remember this, but... She wrote, Vows in the Voice of a Country Hick. And she, she wrote this. Well, honey, I done picked you. And when I pick at something, like in my tooth, I don't let go till I get it. <laughs> and darling, I got you and I want to get hitched to you. You and me is a going places. We can hitch our wagon to any dang star. I will always love you as much as my old hound dog Earl. And honey, if that ain't enough love for you, then nothing will be. So while all the good folks are watching us, let's do this thing in the sight of the Lord. And then you'll have to excuse me as I try to do this one and do it justice. She she wrote, Vows in the Voice of Pirates. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's wife you'll be. You'll... (laughs) You'll cook and sweep and swab the decks and polish the plank for me. Sharpen my swords and feed my parrot and load the cannons with glee. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's wife you'll be. So as you can imagine, I was quite excited when she decided to go with the traditional vows. Because you never never quite know what you're going to get when people are going to write their own vows. So on the screen are the traditional vows... And there's more than one set of traditional vows, but here's one that's very traditional. Uh, You say the full name. Do you take this woman whose right hand you now hold to be your lawfully wedded wife? And do you promise before God and these witnesses that you will be to her a true and devoted husband, true to her in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, in prosperity and in adversity, and that forsaking all others, you will keep yourself to her and to her only until God shall separate you by death. And the traditional answer is, I do. And so those are traditional vows, but if you look, they are a powerful set of promises. The bar is set very, very high for an individual who promises such things. And as you know, and I know, a lot of people make these promises, they say I do, but it doesn't take long before you realize they don't. (laughs) And it isn't because when they stood up at the altar, they were deciding to lie to make it all happen, they have every intention of keeping their promises and living the way that they're vowing to live, and yet they're so lofty. And so other-centered and so highly commendable that they're difficult to keep. And so we want to talk about how a lot of people who say, I do, don't. And the reason isn't that they're lying. It's that it takes a lot of character development and being a really growing, big person to be able to live out This kind of selfless, devoted life where there's cherishing and honoring and protecting and living for and and just you're all in to this kind of relationship. And so I think it's a beautiful thing. People want this kind of a relationship and yet are struggling in this kind of a relationship. So the whole topic today is to talk about what one can do before they say I do to have a greater likelihood of success. Now, our focus today reads this way. Past patterns are better predictors of your future than a spoken promise. I introduced that concept at the tail end of the message last week. Past patterns are better predictors of your future than a spoken promise. So, You know, when we compare two stories where a person says, I know I've, I've, I've messed up left and right and I've got all kinds of problems and stuff, but now I really, I wanna commit exclusively to you. And they wanna make these lofty promises now. And a promise is one thing, but the past patterns, if they haven't been worked on, are actually going to predict the future better than that promise will. And so we really need to work on some things before we say, I do. Now, one of the reasons for uh, deciding to do this series is that our culture is in such a shift, such a change as it relates to marriage and as it relates to values associated with marriage and, and that kind of thing, that people are struggling. Relationships are struggling. Families are struggling. So many people slide into the exclusive relationship instead of decide into an exclusive relationship and statistically what we're learning although you could you could try to guess as to why statistically those who slide into an exclusive relationship have a greater failure rate than those who decide into that exclusive relationship. Statistically, those who decide to cohabit first and then later on because they've slid into a relationship to say, you know, we've, we began to share our time and then we began to spend so much time together, we decided, you know, let's just make some more economic sense. Let's just move in and then it's, after they share all of life and they're even sharing the same pets and now they're sharing the same kids, why not get married? Okay, let's get married. When you slide into a relationship instead of decide into a relationship, they're discovering a high degree of failure, statistically. So I wanna talk about that a little bit and talk about um, from an angle that I haven't yet, um, some of the issues and questions that people have. I've already raised a number of these topics and the two that I did, and Matt raised it, in the one that he did in the three previous sessions. So we're going to jump into a very pointed question and try to give a different answer that we've given so far. Point number one is the pointed question. Why should I save sex for marriage? Our culture says you don't need to you know our culture says just slide into this relationship test drive this relationship let's see if this relationship is going to be the one when you're looking for the one and let's just slide in and see how, see if it's going to work and all that kind of thing that's where our culture lives now i've given you theological reasons um kind of a, i'm old school i'm conservative I believe what the Bible says about marriage, I believe what the Bible says works best in terms of exclusive, permanent, happily ever after relationships, and so I've come from that perspective, but not everybody buys it, and that's okay, you may be here and you may not buy it either, and that's okay, we're glad you're here, because our whole purpose is to help people move from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. To be, And I believe that God wants you to grow in this area and love the life that he's given you and learn from him. So I want to talk about this. This is not just an age thing. It's not just young people sliding into relationships. I've uh, often run into those who have been married longer than me and now they're widows and widowers and they meet somebody and they start sliding into a relationship. And they have the same question. (laughs) Sex is no mystery to us. We've been at this for a long, long time. We know each other. We love each other. And they, they, they slide into a relationship because for economic reasons, they both on Social Security. And if they get married, they have less than if they don't. And on and on it goes. And they have these reasons to do it their way. Young people have reasons to do it their way rather than the way that traditional uh, values that come from uh, what I'm about to teach you, what I've been teaching you come from. And they have their reasons. So this question, even if you're here for the last three weeks, you may have your own answer for in disagreement with the answers that I've given so far. Why is that? Because you kind of look at your context and you decide for yourself and your context what is best to do for you. I get that, okay? However... I want to challenge you to not just look at it from your context. I want you to back up further and further and further and see a God's eye perspective. Because how you answer this question is different based on context. Here's what I mean. If you do not have a personal relationship with God and you your worldview... You, is is not necessarily even based on God being the center of your world, you will answer this question completely differently than somebody like myself or others who have a worldview where God is creator, God is redeemer, God is real, and I have a relationship with him. Here's what I mean. If there is not a God, what is life all about? If there is not a God, we try to develop a worldview that works for us for our own happiness. If there is not a God, then people come up with things like, well, I'm going to get happiness for as long as I can, as much as I can, because it's happiness is my goal, okay? If there is a God, everything changes, because if there's not a God, we can come up with And it's acceptable in our culture. It's all about me. And it's all about now. And I want pleasure and happiness. I define for me what is happy for me. You don't define for me what is happy for me. I will decide for myself what makes me happy. Thank you. And that's where people live. But if there is a God, the answer, it's all about me and it's all about now, is wrong. It's unacceptable because there is an eternity. There is a God. And it's all about me is completely against the plan that God has for us when he made us. That the unselfish life is better than the selfish life. Now, people in this world actually as a lift off from selfishness they actually describe some changes in their own life even when they don't believe in God. It's like, I used to be a player. I used to look at sex as a sport. I used to try to see how many people I could have a relationship with, how frequent, as much as I can. I used to view people as a commodity for my own pleasure. Now, as much pleasure as I can have. But then I met you. Okay, And now the player is saying to the the person that is the person they're looking for, now I'm ready to commit to you exclusively because I realize that to keep you, I can't continue to be a player. And so for a happily ever after life with you, I have to set aside selfishness and make promises that you want so that your life and your view and your list creates your happiness. Now, that's what people do even when they don't believe in God. They kind of lift off their context and try to go, okay, maybe we should get married. If that'll make you happy, okay. And they slide into marriage out of the me, me, me meism and they try to create a we that used to be a me kind of way of deciding things. So, why should I save sex for marriage? If there is a God and we back our context up to include that God weighs in on it, and he says, I want you to love me first with all that you are. That means it's not all about me. It's all about him. It's not all about now and pleasure. It's about eternity and honoring God forever, and he has all kinds of blessings he wants to give us forever if we'll live life with him being our center, And yet, I run into believers all the time that set aside their sexuality as separate from weighing in with God. They kind of lift off of their context and make room for making decisions about their relationships as it relates to sex and pleasure and all those kinds of things and leave God out of those decisions. We we can't do that. We've got to develop our worldview. That worldview needs to be consistent so that we live with the joy that fits with our worldview. So I want to urge you to consider where you are with God. I want to urge you to consider with where you are with loving God and consider what God has to say about now, later, forever, joy and blessing. So that's a little different answer that I've given the last three weeks with uh, Matt's help on week two uh, that... This is a question not about sex. This is a question about everything. Like many other moral questions are. You can't just ask a moral question in isolation. Really, each question is about everything. What is worldview? Who is God? Who are you? How does it all fit together? And as you begin to live for God, everything begins to change. Point number two. What everyone wants. I happen to believe that... Everybody kind of yearns for the kind of relationship that the wedding vow promises describe. Everybody yearns for this. They really want, I want to be cherished. I want to be loved. I want to be protected. I want to be nurtured. I want somebody that that will love me even when they see all the flaws. I want somebody that will stay with me even when I'm messed up. I want somebody that will, will promise to commit to me. You know, We want somebody that's true. And, and that's what those promises describe. Now, where does all that come from? It comes from God. We actually want the happily ever after kind of person that, that makes life meaningful. Paul wrote in Ephesians a really controversial passage that the church sometimes has abused and people have abused it even more. But it's, it describes a lofty kind of relationship that I believe everybody really yearns for, but they often don't get it. So I want to read this passage. And a lot of people abuse it starting at verse 22, where it says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands. And then (laughs) a, a lot of wives get beat up by that. We want to start where this passage needs to start, at verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now he describes how, in a married relationship... This is what the wife does, and this is what the husband does, and if you do this, you're both learning how to submit to each other the way God wants you to submit to each other, okay? Now, I have for wives highlighted in blue because that's the address. If you're a wife, this is for you. This is your list. Husbands, close your ears. Do not use this as a club This is their mirror, not your club. Your mirror is coming on the next slide. So this is the wife's mirror. This is the wife's list. Here we go. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, okay, wives, plug your ears. I'm, I'm saying that metaphorically. This is not for you. This is for husbands now. So don't bludgeon your husband with this and start crying, I wish my husband would be listening right now or do this. <laughs> okay, right? Husbands, this is for you. This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. In other words, he's in it all for her, even at his own detriment and cost. It's all for her. My life is for you, baby. I'm all for you, for your best. What, if, that's, if that serves you, I'm in it for you. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Husbands, hey, if you do this thing, you do this right, and you love her, and you're all in it for you, it actually is better for you. That's what he's saying. Happy wife, happy life. All right. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, there's the summary statement at the end of the passage. There was a summary statement at the beginning of the passage. You need to submit to each other. Here's the summary statement again. Here's what that looks like. For wives, this means... You need to offer, let me start with husbands. For husbands, this means you need to offer unconditional love to your wife. Doesn't matter if she's messing up, or she's messed up, or she looks ugly, or all that stuff, or burned your toast, or tells you, run the vacuum cleaner. I'm not the only one that should be cleaning the house, or whatever it is. You love your wife unconditionally. And all the wives go, yeah. I I could submit to a man like that. Oh, for a man that would love me as Christ loves a church. Mm." (laughs) I'm not doing this very well, but you're you're getting the idea. There's a sentimental yearning for a husband like that. Okay, All right, wives, check this out. You want unconditional love from your husband, but God is asking you to give unconditional respect to him. And you said, but you've never met him. <laughs> there is no way I can give unconditional respect. He doesn't deserve respect. Wait, I didn't say anything about deserving respect. You're giving unconditional respect. I mean, you want unconditional love. That's, how it, that's what touches your heart. What touches his heart is unconditional respect. Now, if you treat each other according to your list, the list that's address, addressed to you, both, both each other starts to lean in and love each other more and more and more with this beauty where, where it comes together in a way that honors God. Now, even if the other person is really not doing so good, you still have your list. Because if you're working on your list, it helps the other person find the person that they're looking for according to their list. All right? Now, point number three. What very few will do. So we've talked about um, what everybody wants, but very few will do. And I want to weigh in a little bit more on this because I'm actually going to leave you with a challenge that I I think very, very few are doing, and maybe very few will actually take me up on the challenge, but I'm going to lay it out there. Anyway, very few people. On the next slide, here's a couple of lines. Only a few enter into training for godliness. We're talking about what it takes before you say I do to have a success in a relationship where you've said I do. It's going to take training and godliness. And very few people enter into this relationship with the character training that's necessary to allow the foundation for this marriage to flourish. Only a few enter, enter into training for godliness. The moment of testing does not create your convictions, it reveals them. So here's the story let's say you got married, let's say you made those promises. Exclusive relationship, you understand that to keep this relationship together, you got to keep yourself true to her. Now you're at work, you just left your spouse on the early morning, you know, kissed her before she brushed her teeth, and she still hadn't uh, looked quite as attractive as you would have wished to have seen her last before you left. And you arrive at work, and here's Miss Gorgeous that works at work with you and the Miss Gorgeous is on her best behavior, and you see your wife at all behavior, and all of a sudden you're working together, and cast into a team together, and working together, and you have dialogue together, and all of a sudden there's this attraction. And you're trying to figure out, ooh, wow, did I marry the wrong one? Because the attraction is there. And then you discover that the attraction is mutual. And now inside of you there's this thing that's lurching, and you try to figure out what you're supposed to do. You made all these promises. You know it's going in a place that's a dangerous place. You're at the point of testing, the point of temptation. Let me remind you that the moment of testing does not create your convictions, it reveals them. If you haven't taken time to train yourself in godliness and develop your convictions, you're done for. You will reveal the fact that your convictions are not fully developed. You will be in it all for you right now with no thought of the person you're committed to and the fallout as it now reveals what's really inside of you because you haven't been training for godliness. And it becomes evident to you later. It becomes, maybe it will not come evident to you. It becomes evident to everybody else and it starts with your spouse that you just betrayed. It becomes evident to them that your convictions haven't been developed, your godly character has not been trained, and your past patterns are winning, and your promises are losing. This is very, very important stuff that we're talking about because it destroys relationships, it destroys families, it really hurts along the way. Paul weighs in on this in a couple of other passages when he's teaching his young protégés. He starts with Timothy, here we go. Young Timothy, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas. Okay, in our world there's all kinds of godless ideas about sex and sex is okay with anybody and everybody and whoever, whatever makes you happy. Don't waste ideas with that. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Training, 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 training. Well, we, we kind of want magic. Ah, uh, yeah, except Jesus is my Savior. Magic. Bang. Now I'm fully trained. I never feel temptation again. No. Train, train. Train your eyes. Train your heart. Train how you think. Train how you look at Miss Gorgeous at work. Train, train yourself to be Loyal and faithful, and protecting and nurturing and cherishing the person that you are saying you love. Okay, training. Now we'll move to Titus. Young Titus, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, it what? The grace of God, which has appeared and offers salvation. That grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It puts perspective on the moment of temptation if you lift off and think of all history, revelation of your character to all involved. Train. The grace of God has everything you need to train in this and to learn how to say no in ungodly situations and no to worldly passions and live in self control. Now, I'm going to issue a one year challenge and I hope there are some, and this is for single people, okay? This is for single people because this whole lesson is on before you say I do. Here's the one you challenge on the screen. For single people, unmarried people, beginning today, take a year off all romantic and sexual pursuits. What for? <laughs> I, I, I'm getting there. What for? To gain clarity and objectivity. So that you just slide in, you actually now have an objective perspective and can decide in. People are deciding in after they slide in because they don't have an objective perspective. It's all subjectively swirling around, doing things your own way and in a way that is cultural instead of the way that God describes. So gain clarity and objectivity. Set some standards. And the standards I want you to consider is what God weighs in on. Set godly standards. Break love-busting habits. Create new patterns for success. Work on your list. Okay, so you want a particular kind of person, you're looking for a person that you're going to say I do to, ask yourself, what kind of person is the person you're looking for looking for? Okay, you've got that list. Work on your list because they have a list of what they're looking for. So what is the person you're looking for is looking for? That list. You work on that list. Hopefully you got that. (laughs) Prepare your character. Build your faith foundation. Now, to reinforce that concept, I have a story. We're going to finish with a story. It's a true story. It's a letter written to Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley issued the one-year challenge. He has done this repeatedly throughout the years. And this one he issued years ago. When he was doing it again, he read this story. Before I read this story, though, you need to understand, if you take up this challenge, here's what's going to happen. You'll make a commitment. I'm not going to get involved romantically. I'm going to work on my character for a year. And then as soon as you make that commitment, that very first month, you're going to meet the one you're looking for. (laughs) And now you're going to be tested on this commitment. You're not ready for the one you're looking for yet. Take the whole year to get ready to build a relationship with the one you're looking for. Now with that in mind, let me read this story. Hey Andy, this is, Written by Stacy. Hey Andy, I assume you get a lot of these emails, so here's one more. I grew up in a broken home, and at the age of five, my mother moved us 600 miles away from my father. When I was 12 years old, I got the talk from my mother. And while I do recall her encouraging me to wait until I found someone I loved, there was really no encouragement to save sex until marriage. All I knew about sex was from my friends and what they were doing. And this knowledge took me into my high school years with a constant state of numbness, giving myself away to every boyfriend I ever had. During my first year of college, I began surrounding myself with different people. My new friends and I started attending Buckhead Church, and it became a routine for me to listen to your messages online. One night, I found myself sitting in my dorm room listening to the first message in your series entitled, Twisting the Truth. I wasn't remotely prepared for what I was about to hear. I can remember everything about that night. It was a moment of truth in my life and my largest milestone to this day. I was in tears, writing notes like a madman. I was slapped in the face with the truth about sex. And the shallowness of my relationship with God was revealed. I finally realized the connection between my experience with sex and my life Of numbness my intimacy factor was gone everything became real when you gave the one-year challenge I had no idea how I was going to do it but I printed out my notes grabbed a pen and wrote November 6th 2007 no dating for one year no more sex until marriage and then I signed it the very next day I wrote in my journal I made it one day God It was the most challenging thing I had ever faced. There were so many guys floating around in my life. I had to cancel my text messaging. And slowly I began to feel sensitivity to my own sin. Just one month after stepping up to the plate with God, I already began to feel him working in my heart. A few months later, an old high school acquaintance contacted me through Facebook. He noticed through my online bio that I had changed. He asked if he could hear my story. And I told him about my November 6th commitment. When November 6, 2008 rolled around, he asked me out. I went, but after our date, I told him I just wanted to be friends. Four months passed, as well as a few dates with other people, and we ran into each other again. I was excited to see him. I had thought a lot about the lack of substance in the previous dates I had been on. We continued to talk, and I slowly saw it all come together. I saw the beauty of what God wanted to do through our lives. He was a virgin and had made the commitment when he was young to stay pure until marriage. I felt unworthy of that. He had a lifestyle that I desired, but I didn't feel deserving of it. Our love story continued for a little over a year, and in July of 2010, he asked me to marry him. Our relationship is founded on friendship and faith. We set our marriage date exactly three years after God changed my life. Saturday, November 6, 2010. We just celebrated six months of marriage and I'm in tears thinking of what we have been through. If it wasn't for the year thing and all God changed in my heart, not only would I be incapable of loving him the way he deserves to be loved, I probably wouldn't have him at all. We are so thankful to God for calling us into bigger stories than the ones we would have written for ourselves. Thanks for listening, Stacy. I don't know where you are at. My purpose is not to make you feel guilt. My purpose is to alert in you that God loves you and he wants you to move from wherever you are. Take a step toward him and express your love to him. Allow him to become the center of your life and to redirect things so that he can build a beautiful life, a life that you actually want, a life that everybody wants. He's the author. Look to him. What will it mean for you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these brave people who tell us about their lives and open up a woundedness and a brokenness that you just stepped into and healed. It gives us hope for our woundedness and hope for our brokenness. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see that you are there. Help us to take steps to begin to look at our own lives, to look at a God view of our life, who we are and who you are and how it all fits together. We want to take steps so that we can become fully open instruments and channels of your grace and blessing. You're the author of the happily ever after. We want you to author that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.